I'm Michelle Walter. And I'm Michael Shaw. You're tuned to This Is The Climate Crisis. In the last few years, we have seen more and more reports from some of the world's most credible organizations about how bad things are. Just last month, the UN's weather organization confirmed that global sea level rise is increasing, so it's getting faster, non-linear change. Now, what that means is that the whole system, the whole climate system is now heating up at an ever-increasing rate. So the Earth is heating itself because of what we have begun. <coughs> so the truth for me is, I'm sorry, but the future of our climate is not now under our control. So what do we do? We gather and rebel, not with a vision of a fairy tale future where we fix the climate, but because it's right to do what we can, it's right to try and reduce harm, it's right to try and save what we can, and it's right to try and live the way we believe in. That was Jem Bendel speaking at an opening of Extinction Rebellion in London April this year. Jem is famous for his deep adaptation paper, which has inspired many people to come together online and in real life to share their response to his statement, social collapse due to climate crisis is likely or already unfolding. On today's show, we'll be talking to Dr. Amy Maxwell. Amy is a deep adaptation advocate and a moderator for the online deep adaptation group on Facebook. Dr. Maxwell is a psychologist practicing in Melbourne. She has a PhD in wellness and a dual degree in psychology and neuroscience, and she is a mother of three children. Let's go straight to the interview now. Amy Maxwell, welcome. Thank you very much for having me today, Michael. So just in the bio that we were just talking about, there's, there's a lot in there about deep adaptation, and I, and I know many people don't understand what deep adaptation actually is. So could you say what you think deep adaptation is and what the purpose of it is? So uh, deep adaptation was a framework that Professor Jim Bendel um, came up with for himself uh, after working in the fields of sustainability and leadership um, for the last few decades. Uh, and he decided to take a sabbatical and review the literature outside the silo and see what uh, cross-professional um, knowledge looked like when we were thinking about uh, climate crises or a biosphere catastrophe or collapse. And he came to the, um, the, the unfortunate conclusion that the way things are going at the moment with the multiple threads that are all racing towards a similar end point, that social collapse was going to come and that uh, so-called developed Western countries have always really regarded themselves as immune to that sort of thing. But uh, this paper, um, Deep Adaptation, really says uh, with a lot of evidence that, no, it's coming for all of us. Uh, and so it's a way of viewing the situation that can help you refocus yourself on what's important in life whether that's on an individual level or a local level or a global level, depends who you are and what you've got, um, but to be focusing on what's important while we watch the decline of the empires. So when, when you know, people are going to hear that 
and they're going to go, wait a minute, you know, that can't mm-hmm. be so. Um, we need to try to change things or uh, there's still things we can do and isn't this giving in to some hopelessness just to presume that it's all going to happen like this? How do you respond when you get that sort of response? You know, the the inclination for the human brain is to put things into binary terms and black and white and to label things and box them and make them understandable. And it's it's not particularly understandable, the idea of our thin sliver of water and soil and sky being unsuitable for us anymore. Hmm. It doesn't sit very well. And I think as the brain tries to wrestle with that, it comes up with lots of different reasons why it can't be true. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Um, it's a very, very big problem. Our brains are not designed for that at all. You know, we've evolved for 310,000 years at the moment. And only the last 10,000 or so are really complex in the way we've got them. And only in the last 200 are they complex at um, a a global trade sort of level. And only in the last 30 have we just gone bananas Mm. with using black carbon. Mm. It's a hard problem to hold in your head. Mm. And so when somebody says it's all coming to an end and we can't rely on it anymore, the brain wants to go, what? Well, either this or that then. It's either all over or it's all on. You, you, you must be into doom. I'm not into doom, but I am into adaptation. Like, if all of a sudden I became paraplegic, um, I would not want everybody to pretend that I wasn't. Mm. Or if I wanted some a wheelchair and a ramp outside my place, mm. yeah, or some access toilets, or all the things that we do uh, in this society in Australia at the moment to help people that have an issue... Mm. Well, well, of course we do that, right? Mm. That's deep adaptation. So this is what's happening to us. Of course mm. we adapt. So you're coming. it's coming from the presumption that there's something coming down the line and uh, that we better start preparing for it. Yeah? Yeah. 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 And while things are going wrong. I mean, we're doing this all the time anyway. It's really interesting to note that the government, all the governments of the world, are busily making mitigation or adaptive plans um you know anything from building seawalls up so that you know things that used to be along the sea now are protected from waves that come through that's adaptation not particularly great adaptation because it still stuffs up the biosphere but it's adaptation for humanity so we're already doing it i mean i'm i'm curious when you know just personally in your own journey because it you know it's it's a It's a lot to get your head around. I mean, it's interesting, even I do have my head around it. And even when I hear you speaking about it, it's like, it still takes me to a place of like, wow, okay. And and I'm well versed in it, really. I'm curious in your own experience, uh, what brought you to the recognition that uh, this is how it's going? Like, was there a piece of information? Was there something someone said? Like, how did you get here? Reading the news, like really, if you've been tracking the news for your lifetime of 47 and then you start reading some of the climate news, and because I am into science, now I'm a great big data nerd and a science head, I, I read graciously. So, so what I, was it about I, the science? Like what, what, what part of the science? It's too like, much, you... Michael. There's yes. too many voices. Yes. That's all it was. All of a sudden, the camel, the straw broke the camel's back mm. and, and for me, I suppose there was there was a story about insect Armageddon, which subsequently has been uh, downplayed. 
sensibly. Um, but there was a story about that. I think it was late last year, and that really sent me for a a, a nosedive. And then there was another story about melting Arctic ice and the feedback loops. And again, I read a lot, and I'm a science head, so I went off and researched it. So every time I read one of these things, I go off and research them and see how much of a hoo-ha is this, because quite often the media take headlines from science stuff, good or bad science, and blow it out of proportion or take it out of context. And so it's always worth going back and reading the articles if you actually can. And I can, so I do. And they weren't all extremifying. <laughs> yes, they were talking about catastrophe, but they weren't extremifying. They weren't cherry-picking their, their results necessarily. And everybody that was telling me it wasn't happening seemed to be cherry-picking their results. And so I guess my brain at some point in time went, oh, Oh, wow. You said before, listening to this and knowing it, sitting with it, it, it hits you. Yeah, I feel the same way talking about it. It's like somebody's punching in my gut <laughs> every time I open my mouth about it. My heart thumps. All of my body says, this is danger. It's hard to ignore that. Let's have a chat about, because it's not just deep adaptation uh, that you're talking about. There is actually also a site, the Deep Adaptation Forum, um, that you're a moderator for and you're an advocate for. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what that is for people that maybe feel a similar way that you do and that I do and um, who might join that or who is it for? Um, So it's for anybody who wants to come along who uh, agrees that the the science is is pointing in a very specific direction and it doesn't look like a fun direction at all and it also doesn't look like very many people are talking about that in a very real way. Mm. Um, We we do now, it's really interesting, been really interesting to watch the year evolve. Uh, There's so much more out there now than it was in February. Yeah, the zeitgeist is here. Yeah, we're just on the crest of a wave. It's really a place for people who read the paper or come to this understanding or like you already full of it from a lot of different sources um, to land and really actually feel like you do have a place where you can talk to people who get it, where you don't have to spend your time talking, arguing about whether the science is true or arguing about what mitigation strategy is going to be the best one that will fix it all so that we can return to business as usual because that's really the the key difference. Mitigation says we're going to fix it so we can keep on just like this and that is like such a fairy tale of an idea because there are only so many resources in our world and we have used lots of them. We can't continue on like this even if there wasn't a thing we'd done to the biosphere. 
Yes, I mean, be, be with the whole ecological collapse that's happening around us um, as mm. we speak, which is, a, yeah. you know, a different thing to climate change, but the Completely different. all to do with anth- anthropogenic change. It, and, and driven by humans and business. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, we'll put up a link to that DDAP, Deep Adaptation Forum on our, uh, on us on the SoundCloud um, site. So if anyone's interested and really just wants to try to find a community to connect to, uh, that they might come in through there. Um, but it's interesting too. I just just something you said there about uh, you don't want to uh, start arguing with people um, or people mm. that you know, get into that. There is so much division on this topic. And uh, yeah. what strikes me really is it's not just division between um, so-called deniers and people that accept. There's also division around, you know, people that see it also coming but see it in a different way or yeah. feel a different thing about it. I mean, I, I just yeah. want to confess something here that uh, yesterday I was in a cafe with a friend, you know, a sensitive-minded, intelligent guy who's also recognising what's going on in the climate, he just wasn't feeling it like I was at that point that I was talking about it. <laughs> and I ended up getting out of the, I ended up storming out of the cafe, right? Oh. And he's a friend. And um, I, I just thought this is insane. Like my, my actions are insane, but I think there's a lot of insanity in this, uh, in this topic around people um, clashing with each other y- y- everywhere within families, within communities. I just wonder if you could talk to what the, what's going on a little bit here or how to uh, handle this a little bit better. It's really interesting. It's I think it's a function of empathy, actually. Mm. So there's been some really interesting studies on empathy done that suggest that um, e- e- empathy works really nicely within and also promotes between group and so the more empathetic individuals feel, they often are more uh, obstreperous with their outgroup people. So, for instance, you and your friend, you're kind of in the same in-group, but mm. not quite, right? Mm. And so then your empathy for all of the destruction that is actually happening makes you be maybe more full of animosity towards him than if you were lower empathy. And so I think that's what's happening inside the groups. Because there, there's still arguments in deep adaptation. It's, it's not like we're not arguing. We're just not arguing whether this is happening or not. Yes. <laughs> we're we're yes. devolved into arguments about how it's happening or when it's happening or what's the best response for it to be happening. Yes. So uh, it's still we do that. And it is a lot of it is because people are in-grouping. Jem's done a really interesting um, uh, look at tables of adaptive responses. Oh, sorry, uh, adaptive, maladaptive, whatever, responses to this idea, right? And he's, he's gathered them. And so some of them are like the SOS um, <clears throat> response, which is really reading and talking a lot about it and sharing lots of news, but not actually changing anything in the way you live, the yeah. SOS response. Yeah. Then there's the survivalist sort of responders, yeah, who think, okay, well, move out of the city, get a block, mm-hmm. find some people, try and live off the land. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of a little bit of denial in and of itself because, you know, where do you avoid the weather exactly? Mm-hmm. Or the transcendent response that says go to therapy or do it with other people and really 
come to some personal transformation about accepting death and um, losing how much we care about the societal norms or rules that have bound us. Mm. So there's a different sort of response, yeah? And there's heaps of these responses, mm. and I think and we end up holding on to our response so tightly. Exactly. Yeah, so, sorry, sorry, and on, we're all having to yep. justify our own responses to ourselves, yes. right? yeah. And so if I've justified that the best thing that I can do for me and my family is move off to a country block where there's running water and blah, 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 then I've really had to latch onto that pretty deeply in order to disrupt my my everyday life. Yep. And when you suggest a different kind of response, I'm just going to get to know everybody I love better and still go about doing my usual mm. business, but mm. I'm going to do it knowing that this mm. is sweet and mm. I'm going to savour it. Mm. Then we feel the need to argue with them because they're doing it wrong and they turn into outgroup. And that is, um, we're going to have to have a break there and we'll come back and we'll keep talking to Amy again after the song. talking about um, the division between people that can happen when we start talking about the climate, not just between people that are denying that it's happening, but some often people between people that agree that it's happening, but are responding to it in a different way. And I, I was relaying before the song about, about my own experience that I had yesterday <laughs> with a good friend. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I'm curious, you're a, you're a psychologist and um, I'm wondering how to approach this kind of issue because it's something that I run into, and I imagine many do quite a lot. And so adrenaline will do that to us, yes. Yeah. And it's always nice to know when adrenaline's going to come. We've not really been prepared for adrenaline to come just because we're talking about the weather. That's always been a really safe topic, right? Mm. So your bones don't know it's dangerous, which means we have to remind them before we go into situations. Mm. Oh. This is now a time where my body is going to try and flood me with adrenaline, mm. get me to be here and now, get me to focus on why I'm right and why the other people are wrong, and it will help me not have empathy for anybody else's situation. So with that in mind, I must remember to be passionate and that everybody's doing it differently, even the people who are arguing in the science. Mm. They're just doing it differently. Our tendency to have this in-group, out-group bias it's very old and it was very useful. In this situation, it's long useful and the only chance we've got is if we get our higher minds enlisted mm. before we come into the situation, knowing full well this is a place we'll be tested. Oh, look, I guess there's, um, I guess it's, it's leading on to another question of, you know, sometimes particularly on, um, you know, the social media groups, there's always people that come on and say, what a load of rubbish, you know, it's because of this and this and, you know, you guys are wacky and put on your tin hats. There are actually full on denials, denialists out there. Yeah. And, um. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, my own practice is I just try to not engage. I, I, I'm just wondering what you feel about that as well. Well, you can not engage. That's, I suppose, a little bit like ignoring a tantruming child. <laughs> yes, they're in distress, but they're just having a tantrum. And mm. so sometimes the best thing to do is just to ignore 
it's not a terribly compassionate response to it. And I, I tend to be all for compassionate responses because I suspect that's what we're going to have left is compassionate responses to each other. If we can manage mm. to be behaving like that, mm. then um, that would be awesome and it would be great to practice being compassionate while also feeling alarmed. Mm. So when, when, when you have people coming in saying, yeah, you're just a load of loonies, my personal preference is also not to engage because I have a short amount of time left alive and I don't want to do that bit. Mm. Um, but also I don't blame them for it. I'm not using my distress to blame people. They're, they are where they are. Mm. This is their reality. This is what they believe wholly, mm. just like you believe your bit wholly. Nobody thinks they're the baddie in a situation. Mm. Yeah, and the, the amount of people who truly are intending to do and inflict harm is a small amount of people, very, very small amount mm. of people, mm. percentage-wise in a population. Everybody else is just getting about doing the best they can. That's the best they can. This is really big. It's really hard. Mm. It's really horrible. Mm. That's the best they can do is go, no, it's not happening. Shut up, all of you. Mm. Well, the biggest story in the history of mankind, I think, is the one we're relaying and talking about right now. I've seen your website and you have... Um, posted quite a few, um, uh, or you've made quite a few posts about talking to children. And you're a mother of three, three children between 16 and 22. Mm-hmm. And I know there's many mothers in this shire that are thinking, how do I bring up this subject with my children? If they're not already out there protesting, uh, some of the younger yeah. ones, um, like how do you, you know, do you have any advice about how to bring this up with kids? Um, and yeah, how to handle that with the, with the younger folk so um i i do there's 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 a few ways to go through with with little kids so i'm i'm lucky i'm an educational and developmental psychologist so i look after children in my psychology practice as well as adults um i was a nanny for many years before that because i love kids so uh, luckily this is why i post things about it um I, i i think about parenting a lot and i do a lot of work in the area so for kids what we want to do is really get them to feel like there is a deep sense that the grown-ups are working on this. Mm. Yeah, and the best way we can show them the grown-ups are working on this is by working on it yeah, individually mm. in their little lives. That their lives are not news articles and blog posts and yeah and 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 abstract ideas of trees being planted because somebody flies somewhere. Their lives are in the here and the now and what you do. They're only kids and they've just got concrete brains and if we flood them too much they won't be able to abstract it. Children push things away, deny or repress, yes, really easily and happily because they're little kids and big abstract stuff like death, for instance. We don't see that happening with kids talking about it until they're, you know, over four. Mm-hmm. Before that, their little brains are too small. So little kids don't really need very much discussion about this at all. What they need models for them is nice ways, adaptive ways of living. And to, dem- to, demonstrate, adip- to demonstrate some um, positive action in regards to it and not so much, I guess, you know, especially under four, not so much talking about the actual situation. No, not talking about the situation. It's too uh, abstract, it's too big. And even between four and ten, it's too abstract and too big to talk about the whole situation. Getting them involved is lovely. We must be careful not to grow their brains up as much as we can in a state of constant anxiety. One needs places that are calm to deal with feeling alerted and scared, yeah? So your home environment, as parents, 
we're really responsible for co-regulating for them. So when they're coming to us with really big emotions, we help them move through them or move under them or move around them or not move at all and watch them pass. But that's our job, not tell them all of our big grown-up emotions about all the things that are happening in the world. Well, I guess kids are getting very exposed to it now anyway because the schools are going on strike and, you know, the, um, a lot of those schools, are, are high schools connected to primary schools, like, the, you know, everyone's, there's a, yep. there must be a lot of awareness in at the primary level as well as well at the secondary level now. Um, secondary, much more so, but yeah, definitely. Yes, beautiful <laughs> yeah and um and i guess it's a, it's a tricky dance at the primary level about how far you go and what you say and what you don't say but i i definitely you know take your point about our our role as adults in children's lives is to be a, a source of regulation for them because they are still developing ways to handle their emotions yeah and you know the other thing i'd say is super key don't be blaming people around them mm that one of the skills they're going to need is to not just blame others for ill. Yes. To look at the ill and go, okay, this is the problem. How do we solve it? We don't need to go back into the past necessarily and look for who's to blame. Mm. We don't need to be railing and using energy in that direction. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we do, us grown-ups, but yes. they don't. Yes. Yeah. I th- look, that's... Um that's super good advice, Amy, and I think we are pretty much out of time for this okay. interview, but I would like to bring you on. I feel like I'd like to talk to you a lot more about the children uh, and a lot more about a lot of the areas that we crossed over, but um, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, Michael, yes. and I look forward to the next time. Yeah. tuned to This is the Climate Crisis. I'm Michelle Walter. I'm Michael Shaw. So we've just been listening to an interview with Dr Amy Maxwell that Michael recorded earlier on in the week. I thought it was an absolutely fascinating interview and particularly, you know, I ha- also have a psychology and neuroscience degree like Amy, so the way she was perceiving things answered so many questions that would have been um, open in my mind. And one of the things you were talking about off air there was you you were particularly interested in the adrenal adrenalized response to yes. something as simple as the weather. That's right, and I love that you know to recognise that the weather is no longer a safe topic of conversation because the climate crisis is a threat. So our body, when we start talking about um, the climate crisis or even the weather, our body starts to produce these trauma responses, and of course. That makes sense. You know, people have been in fires, there's flooding, there's, you know, all these extreme weather events. Plus there's this impending doom message that's coming through. So when we're talking about um, this topic, 
our adrenal system is very quick to fire up. Mm. And I also liked the point that she said that we're all preparing in different ways. Yes. And then, so my way, because I invest in my way. Yeah. I and maybe, you have invested in your I way. I have in invested. A big way, you know? And other people have too, making these big changes. And then when someone's not making any big changes, there's, there's a right and wrong. Yes. Uh, this camp and that camp. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's very true. And everyone has a different response, and every response is valid, and people are wholly involved in their response. I also like yourself, Michael, you mentioned you had an argument out of the blue. I had this really strange argument and, a, and now I recognise an adrenalised response. Um, when I went to talk, uh, went to a meeting about the Psychology Alliance and the idea was to talk about climate chaos and what uh, practitioners, health practitioners in the region can do about it. Two of the people I was with took that more transcendent response that she described. And I just went into this kind of climate rage. You know, you don't get it, it's all over and da-da-da-da. And I really was shocked because I, it came out of the blue. One minute I was sitting there happily smiling, you know, thinking about going for a drink after the meeting. Next thing you know, I was just, act, you know, acting tantrumy. Well, and look, you know, you and me and many out there, I, mm. I know on social media things blow up fast. Yes. And um, I know some people come on just to bait people as well, just to, you know, watch everyone's explosive responses. Yeah. But I'm interested because you do have a neuroscience background, so yeah. we, I'd like to tap into it. You know, yeah. when we say an adrenalized response, let's just break this down. Yes. What does it actually mean? Yeah. And what are the steps to handle that? So we're in this conversation about the weather yeah. and it heads this direction. Um, so unexpected. So don't, un don't talk about the weather on the first date. <laughs> it's no longer the appropriate thing It's no thing longer to do. a safe topic. Oh, my God. What do we talk about if that's not a safe topic? Politics. Politics. Well, no. That's Religion. <laughs> anyway, yeah. we'll leave that safe topics for another, for another show. But um, how would you describe an adrenalised response yeah. and what is... Yep. Like some ground, you know, how do we find ground in ourselves in meeting that? Yes, yeah, that's a really good question, Michael. So one of the things to recognise is adrenalised response is actually a trauma response. And we have sort of two systems um, that are almost mutually exclusive. Either you're either in one gear or another, and one is a social engagement system, talking happily, having a good time, laughing, we have humour, we're able to, to see things from different perspectives and then we have our threat system threat system is a totally different biology and that's run by the fight flight freeze and we, we look at things in terms of exactly like amy was saying who's with me who's against me okay so suddenly someone's an enemy because they have a different opinion when the threat system is activated and and for me when when that threat system gets activated it's like i feel all the blood yes. running up into my yeah. chest and that's right. fire and that's it so yeah, the my... heart the heart will go you may even have an adrenal drop so with the, the adrenaline is a very strong and cortisol they're very strong hormones that, that happen in the body so you can become extremely reactive very quickly and you may feel like it's out of your control because it literally the amygdala gets activated and it hijacks the brain and suddenly you're feeling like you're in the jungle and you're under threat. So what do we do? Talking about the weather, having well, adrenal response. I know, that's exactly right. What do right. we do? First of all, uh, what's wonderful and why I loved this interview so much is that Amy has named it so clearly and it's something that I should have occurred to me but it, it actually didn't occur to me. I was aware that it's tra a traumatic issue, but I hadn't actually really seen it so clearly. 
So when we know something is traumatic, we become trauma sensitive, okay? So what trauma sensitive means is recognizing this is a delicate topic. I'm gonna approach this gently. I'm gonna be more mindful of my own reactions. So I'll be aware that I might have a strong body response that could hijack me. I'm gonna take time to actually breathe and to bring my whole brain back online. Mm. So that's taking pauses. That's recognizing that your first immediate reaction may not be the true reaction, okay? It may be a threat response. So just that awareness and that what we call mindfulness actually can really support you in your interactions. Even if you do lose it, because it's such a strong automatic reaction to be able to go, oh wow, I'm having and label it. As soon as we label, oh, I'm having a threat reaction, that actually down regulates the reaction, gives us that bit of space and then we can breathe and then we can sort of come back into being. And we can sort of apologize to our friend and sorry, you're not my enemy just because you don't think the way I think, mm. this sort of thing. Mm. And yeah, I, you know, as a student of mindfulness, I can yes. understand that with the breath feeling your feet yes taking a moment to drop i mean it's a funny thing to talk about when we're talking about um, the climate crisis but i do just see so many arguments going on that i'm also included in mm. so many arguments going on everywhere mm. um even as we as i said on that even amongst people who are relatively aligned the other point i really like that she made was about uh the children oh that's right and um it's something that Jem Bendel actually talks about it in an interview and he says that, you know, we're all cheering that the children are out there protesting, but that's an incredible stress on the children as well. And Amy pointed out that the children need to know that the adults are taking care of things, that they're paying attention. And this is what, you know, Greta Thunberg and the Fridays for Our Future is about. It's like, please do something, take some action. We need to know that you're actually there speaking to the adults, the politicians parents so I thought that was really really important that we're not just responding because the issue is true and real we're responding to take that pressure off the young people so that they are not carrying that burden alone or feel they are because that's an incredibly stressful burden to bear and Jem also made the point that we need to be supporting young people and how are they going to live in the times to come what skills do they need how can we make them feel that we're actually taking care of them and looking out for them and what they may need in a world that's really going to be very vastly different to the one we live in today? Agreed. And I also like to point about for the, for the young children, not necessarily, it's not necessary uh, to have too deep a conversation with yep. the really young ones, but it is necessary to demonstrate that you're doing something, where, you know, whatever that is, yep. planting trees or being aware or just connecting with nature, like demonstrating that you are on the same page, you're with them. Mm -hmm.